Amen. Lord, that is the prayer of our heart. We look forward to the day when we will see you and be around your throne forevermore, worshiping you. What a, we look forward to that, Lord. What a blessing that's going to be. Lord, I just pray until then that we would draw closer to you every day. Be men and women who are, just fall deeper and deeper in love with you. You're such a great and an awesome God. We love you so very much. We ask for our time in the Word tonight that you would be our teacher. It would be your words, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that's here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll be happy to loan you one. Just raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, that means you need one because we are going to have a Bible study tonight. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 17. Numbers 17. When I first started studying, I thought I was going to teach two chapters, and it's a joke around the church office because that's never happened and probably never will. But uh, it's only 13 verses tonight, but boy, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And as, as is always true with God's Word, it's always right on time. It's always right on time with what's going on in our lives. That's one of the things I hear from you guys a lot. I know in my own life when I'm studying throughout the week, how we'll come to church on Sunday, and it's like, man, were you following me around this week? Did you, how did you know that I was going through that, and I don't know, but God does. I even have, my husband said that you're talking, no, I wasn't talking about you, I promise. Just teach in the Bible and let God minister to your heart as he, as he desires to. But it is interesting that as we look at number 17, and I'm going to take a little bit longer than I normally do just to kind of set this chapter up. Because I really want to talk about the, the present day that we're living in and how it totally applies to the chapter tonight. I titled the message, Reestablishing Truth. What's happened with the children of Israel is they've gotten their eyes off of God completely. And they've started living their own way and with their own plans and their own heart and their own desire. What does that sound like? It sounds like the country we live in. Amen? And today we live in a time of what we... What, people call moral relativism, where men, women, and even children set their own individual standards of what is wrong based on how it feels to you. You know, if it feels good for you, go for it, man. I mean, there's no right or wrong, and I'm not going to infringe my beliefs on you. And, you know, if it feels good, then you should certainly do it. We've become what is known as an amoral society. A, a moral society is one that has morality and follows it. An immoral society is the one that has morals but chooses not to follow them. An amoral society is one that doesn't have morals. And the only people that catch static in an amoral society are the people that have some. And you know, it's interesting that the Bible says in the end times that, that things are going to go worse and worse and more and more evil all around us. And boy, I just feel sometimes I watch TV like we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the things you see in an amoral society is a questioning of all authority. You know, nobody tells me what to do. I'm in charge of my own life. I'll live however I want to live. The world says self-esteem. What does the Bible say? Deny self. The world says, I'm in control. The Bible says, God's in control. The world says, I know what's best. The Bible says, without Him, we can do nothing. The world says, trust in your abilities, trust in your wealth, trust in your possessions. The Bible tells us to be desperate for God. Are those just on the opposite polar extremes of everything in life? And we're living in a world right now that is just going for it in an amoral world with no morality. If it feels good, do it. Just go for it. Pursuing pleasure, power, personal comfort, and the praise of men. Having a passion for, again, God instead is what God's called us to do. Everybody has a passion for something. What is our passion for? To bring glory and honor and praise to His name. Is it my will be done or thy will be done? It's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. Is it all about me or is it all about Him? 
And, we're gonna, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I want to clearly have a see that the, the picture that we see in the chapter tonight is so clearly a picture of what's going on in the world today. Um, while the Bible teaches us that the end times are going to grow worse and worse, I also believe that there's nothing, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we, while we look around at the world and we see it being, a, you know, wow, we've just gotten so far away from God, and we're deny, they're denying the Lord all over the place, and at the same time, there's nothing new under the sun. It's been happening since the beginning of time. So tonight as we look at uh, number 17, we're going to see the same old evil sin and pride and rebellion in a different package today the way it was back then. And we're going to be able to relate to the children of Israel and how their pride, their sin, their rebellion, their total disregard for God's word had brought them to a point of judgment and separation from God. And how God's desire for Israel then and his desire for you and I now is to reestablish God's truth in our lives. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, yeah, I love the Lord and I have a heart for God, but let me ask you something. Are you putting everything you do through the Holy Spirit filter in your life? Are you praying about every decision? Lord, I want your will. Do you begin your day? Lord, let me seek your face. Let me have a passion for you. Let me follow you with my whole heart. Or are we just cruising with the world and going with the flow and not questioning authority, man? Just roll with it. Live and let live, right? I mean, that's where we live today. But God's got a higher and a greater plan for every single one of us. He wants us to know His will, His heart, His authority. Remember, it's not about being popular before men. It's about being faithful before God. Amen? No popularity contest in heaven. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, they're not going to have everybody that knew you stand in a, you know, in a big crowd and vote on whether or not you get in. If they did, you'd probably be a lot nicer to the people that you know, right? But the reality is that it's where we stand with God that matters. And so we've seen in numbers, and, we're, and as we come to this point, I just want to catch this up. In Genesis, we saw that God created man in His image in perfect fellowship with Him, but man chose to rebel against God. Man thought he knew better than God, right? And what did it, how did it start? They started to doubt God's word. Remember, what did Satan say? He said, did God really say? Remember he said that to Eve? Did God really say? Oh, I don't know. Questioning God's word, and we're seeing that happen today. And I'll talk about that more specifically as we move on. And they chose in pride and rebellion to sin against God. We get to Exodus, and God's People's sin and rebellion had landed them in Egyptian bondage where they spent 400 years in bondage. 400 years in slavery, 400 years in torment because they had rejected God and His plan for their life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're struggling in, in your life. Now understand this, there are trials that we go through when we're walking in the center of God's will and God wants to use those for His glory and praise God for them, amen? But there's also consequences of sin that come out in our life too where we choose to rebel against God, do things our own way, disregard His Word, and then we're shocked when the consequences show up, just like God promised them. That's what's happening with the children of Israel in the wilderness. But before that happened, they spent 400 years, and during that 400 years, they, they, saw, they were just in bondage, they were crying out to God, and they were in torment. And finally it says that God heard their voice, and He brought a man to deliver them by the name of Moses, remember? He spoke to him. Moses was a guy that, you know, he had been banished out of Egypt himself. He once was a prince. Now he's a shepherd. And he's out there, you know, tending the sheep. And God shows up in the fiery furnace, or fiery furnace, in the burning bush. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of my favorite stories. It's in my brain, okay? But he shows up in the burning bush, and he begins to speak to him and sends him back to deliver them. And he takes this 
this man who feels like he's a stutterer and can't be used by God, and God uses him mightily to deliver his people out of bondage. Now, it's God that delivered them, but he uses tools in his hands. We're going to talk about that tonight. But what did they see when they were delivered? This is interesting to me. They saw God do awesome things. They saw the ten plagues, right? And every plague was a miracle, every single one of them, and they saw every one of them. The ultimate plague at the end was Passover. We've talked about this every week, or most weeks, how it's a picture of the cross, the blood of a lamb that's applied to the doorpost, picture of the cross. The angel of death would pass over and they were delivered out of bondage. We then saw the pillar of fire following them and protecting them from Egypt as they traveled behind them. They parted, God parted the Red Sea. He gave them the law. He dwelt in their presence. We saw the tabernacle being erected. I mean, all this stuff that God was doing was such a clear plan of His presence. And you would think at some point they would say, God, you're so awesome. Where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to look to? You're the only one that I want to follow. But sadly, we see that their memory is very, very short. We get to Leviticus, and God gives them clear instruction through all the sacrifices. Those of you who are here, what's one of the key words to Leviticus? Blood. It is the most bloody book in the Bible, it's got the word blood in it, I, can't, I think it's 86 times, it's off the top of my head. But roughly 86 times in the, in the book of Leviticus, you see the word blood, and the reason that it was such a bloody book is they needed to understand that sin, the forgiveness of sin, came at a very great price. That without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And they needed to understand that, and when you walked into the tabernacle, there was blood everywhere. The burnt altar, there were sacrifices that were offered every day. And when you came by, there was blood everywhere. And it was a constant reminder that my sin is forgiven, but at a heavy price. As those sacrifices pointing to the coming Messiah, pointing to Jesus Christ. So we get to Numbers, and now they've been a year at Mount Sinai, actually 13 months. And now God gives them instructions to start moving towards that land of promise. And you would think they would be excited. You would think after being there for a year, but sadly, while they were there, remember what happened. While they were there, Moses went up on the mountain to get the law, the Ten Commandments. And while Moses was gone, what did they do? They made a what? A golden calf. And they started having a party, and they were having a drunken rager, and he comes down and sees them, and he just, oh, Moses, righteous anger. But you'll remember that at one point, Moses says, all of you who are on God's side, come to me. And there was one tribe, all of which came to him. Who was it? The Levites. And that's why the Levites became the priestly tribe, because they chose to follow God when nobody else would. You know what? God's called us to be like that today, to follow God even if nobody else will. Even if we're living in one of the most godless times, it doesn't matter what people are voting on or voting about, God is still in control. Amen? Now, we need to, we need to let our voice be heard, but we need to not lose hope, because God is faithful, and He's just as in control as He was yesterday. So he begins to move the children. If you'll remember from Numbers, he organized them. Numbers is a book of organization. Anybody have ever been to my house? My wife is the cleanest person on the planet, and I, and I mean that, okay? And she is as organized, so she likes numbers. Very organized, right? They organize the camps. They organize which way they're going to march. And if you remember, they encamped in the shape of a cross. And as they were headed to the land of, of uh, milk and honey, the land of Canaan, they were you know, encamped in the cross, God's glory is now with them, dwelling in the tabernacle. You know, they've got their marching orders, they're carrying their banners that all point to Christ. Judah's the first tribe that would march out first. Remember Judah? Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? 
Jesus Christ. And Judah went out in front of them, and it was all done in perfect order, and you would think they would say, oh, this is wonderful. 400 years of bondage. We've been delivered out of bondage. We're headed to the land of promise. They're dwelling in temporary tents, but when they get to the land of promise, it's not going to be that way anymore. And you know what? It's only going to be an 11-day trip. But guess what happened after a couple of days? They started to murmur. Three million whiners, right? The church of the first whiner, right? These guys were whining and moaning and complaining, and they started whining about God's blessings in their life. They started whining about manna. Remember what manna was? Manna was God's daily provision. And they started whining because he was giving them manna. He's dropping pastries out of the sky for them to eat. Can you imagine if every morning you went outside of your house, and there was like, you know, two dozen Dunkin' Donuts or something on your, on your lawn? And they had no fat in them, and they tasted really good, and they were good for you. I mean, that's what was, God's raining food down out of the sky, and they're like, oh man, and they just start whining. Because why? They'd gotten their eyes off of God and started thinking about their flesh. Started thinking about their own comfort, their own well-being, their own will, their own desires. And you know what? That's a battle as Christians that we can battle with every single day. Amen? We get so focused on us and our will and our desire that we get our eyes off of God. And that's exactly what's happening to the children of Israel. They murmured about marching. They murmured about manna. And then, amazingly enough, they get to the point where they wanted to go back to Egypt. Do you remember that? And, you know, at least back there we had onions and leeks. Dude, you can have the leeks, man. Give me the pastry, right? But they're going, we got leeks and onions and beatings back there. How about that selective memory, right? I remember back there, it was so wonderful. Dude, you were getting beaten back there and you were crying out for 400 years and you're with a bunch of idol worshipers who are making you make bricks without straw in the heat of the day and giving you a note. What, what's wrong with you? Now you're with the Lord. His presence is with you. You're headed to the land of promise. Can I tell you, this is just Pastor Dave, my personal... The thing that fries me is when I hear Christians tell me how before they were saved there were some things in their life that were better. I'm like, have you read the Bible? Do you know where you were headed before you got saved? Do you have any idea? That is the stupidest thing I've ever... Now, as a pastor, I don't typically come out like that, right? Well, I'm just coming to counsel with you because that's the stupidest thing. No, that's not real effective. I'm not going to do... I promise if I can't... I've never said that to any of you, right? But let me encourage you, though, that just... And I can imagine, I'm a sinful man. How does God feel when He rescues us and when then we murmur and complain about God's plan for our life? It's just us saying, we don't trust you, God. And they didn't trust God. They're murmuring and they're complaining and they're crying out against God. And then they finally get to the land of Canaan. Remember what happened? This is what kept them out of the land. What did they do? God said, that land belongs to you. It's yours. I've given it to you. It belongs to you. Your name's on it. Go take it. And what did they do when they got there? They got to the outskirts of it and they said... Oh, we better send some spies in there to make sure it's okay. Remember they sent the 12 spies in and 10 came back and said, Oh man, there's giants in the land. There's a lion in the street, right? I'm lazy. I don't, we can't battle it. We're going to be like grasshoppers. What are we going to do? And then Joshua and Caleb came back and said, Dude, we'll smoke them. Let's go. Right? You got to love Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said, They're like grasshoppers to us. We got God on our side. Let's go get them. And we know what happened. They listened to the 10. Instead of the two. And do you know that whenever you get counsel, the faithless will always outnumber the faithful? Always. They will always, always be those who will come and tell you, oh man, it can't be done. God doesn't want to do that with you. You, got, you must be outside your mind thinking about that. And they began to complain against Moses. If only we had died in Egypt. Now we're in the wilderness. What are we going to do? And God's judgment sometimes is giving people exactly what they want because they said, only if we had died in the wilderness. So guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to die in the wilderness. 
Lord, if I just died in the wilderness, okay, let me give you what you've asked for. They complained about Moses. Miriam and Aaron began to complain about him. Not only were the people complaining, but who's, his, who's the two closest people to him in this entire camp? Miriam and Aaron. And what did they start doing? They started complaining because they wanted Moses' position. What happened to Miriam? She got covered in what? Leprosy. And if you remember what happened, she got sent outside the camp. And you've got to love Moses because he starts praying for his sister. And I've told you, have heard this, you know what I'm going to say next. I would have prayed her through camp with a t-shirt on. Saying, talk trash about Moses and you're next. You know what I mean? I mean, he could have just said, hey, you know, don't, don't talk about God's anointing. He didn't do that. He prayed for his sister. And so as soon as they stop murmuring and complaining, we get to the, to the point last week where the complaining wasn't over, the murmuring wasn't over. Now his cousin, Korah, begins to complain about him. And Abiram and Dathan. And what do they do? They basically come to him and say, Moses, who do you think you are? Who, who died and made you boss? Who put you on the throne? I should have had that job. I, you know, I, you know, and that's what happened. And they come and they start attacking him. Instead of saying, you know, Moses, can I give you a hug, man? I mean, I was, I was on my hands and knees making bricks for 57 years till you showed up. God bless you, bro. Thanks for listening to God's voice and letting God use you and get me. Instead it was, man, I should be in charge. I'm just as anointed as you are. I'm just as holy as you are. Our whole land is just, we're all as holy as you. Now, these are the same people that just got banished from going to the land of promise for murmuring. But yet, short memory. Well, we're just as holy as you are. And we know what happens is that they get 250 other guys, and it's 253 guys against two. The 253 guys show up, and they bring the whole camp in and say, we want you to see what's going to happen, because as soon as we smoke these guys, we want you to know who's in charge. So let's all mount up. And they all showed up, and what happened? What did God do? He opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and Dathan and Abiram and and their entire family. Now, that would be enough for me. I think repentance would be pretty quick, right? Well, it didn't happen, so what happened? Fire came down from the sky and smoked the other 250 guys. And you would think, okay, that should be enough. Well, you get to the end of the chapter last week, and they start saying, you've killed the Lord's anointed to Moses. You've killed God's people. It wasn't, was it Moses that killed them? Does Moses open up the earth? Or is that God doing that, right? And again, the murmuring continues against Moses. It's relentless. It doesn't stop. And again, it's kind of like the world we live in today. Instead of trusting God, we want to trust ourselves. We want to go our own way. We think we know better than God. We think we're so smart. Do you know that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God? Amen? I don't care how many letters you got after your name. Compared to God, you're an idiot. Amen? Is that not true? We are so stupid compared to God, we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even talk about being compared to God in any way, Right? But we think, well, we got satellites in the sky, and we're trying to figure out, you know, he put stars up with a word. Dude, don't talk to me about that satellite you've been building for 200 years. He just spoke, and poof, there it was, right? That's the God that we serve, but we get so caught up in our ability, and we think we know better than God, and we want to challenge God, and that's what's happening with these guys wandering in the wilderness. Their eyes are off of him, and they're on them. It's all about us now. So what do we want? What is our will? What is our passion? And what happened lastly? A plague hit the people. You remember that last week? 14,700 people died. If you remember what happened, that Aaron ran in the middle of them, and he stood in the middle. And death, the plague was moving through the camp, and where he stood, interceding on their behalf, the death stopped. Aaron, the high priest, is a picture of whom? 
Jesus Christ. That where He stands, where He intercedes, the death stops. And now the people have life. So that brings us, I know that was a long introduction, but it's a short chapter tonight, so forgive me. But chapter 17, we're going to see God give, through Moses, some clear instruction on how to reestablish truth and priorities in the camp. And I believe that God ministered to my heart. It may only minister to me, hopefully it ministers to you too. But it ministered to me. God just clearly showed me, these are things that apply to Santa Cruz. These are things that apply to your life, Dave. These are things that need to change in you. I, I use this example in their life, but it's not by chance that the week that Santa Cruz County says that we're going to start condoning homosexual marriage here pretty quick, probably. And all these kinds of things going on in the world we live in, and we're getting so far away from God and His truth that we're in chapter 17. It's an encouragement to us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? To remember and focus on the truth. How do you and I keep from falling into the same rebellion as these guys? What is going to keep us from becoming like the children of Israel? They had God in their presence. They could look over the tabernacle and see His glory, and they rebelled. They saw Him part the Red Sea. They rebelled. They saw Him dropping food out of the sky. Rebelled. Sky, ground opening up. Rebelled anyway. It's amazing, but yet we do the same thing. And what can keep us from rebelling? I believe that we gain some insight, again, by looking in the text tonight and seeing how God reestablished truth in their eyes. The children of Israel had taken their eyes off God, off His Word, off His promises. He'd given them so many clear examples. Remember little things. He put tassels on their garments. You remember that? So whenever they got dressed, they saw tassels. In those tassels was a blue thread. It was a reminder to them to remember God's law. They were not to forget the law. You know what? Sometimes we get so busy that we forget the Word. Amen? We're so busy doing everything else that our Bible's been sitting on our desk for four, five days, six days, whatever it's been, too long, and we haven't read it, and it should be a reminder to us as well. Remember what happened last week when he smoked the 250 men of renown, what did he do? They took the, the brass censers and they pounded them out, and they put them over the altar as a reminder to everybody that if you come with brass, if you come on your own, right, brass is a picture of judgment, gold a picture of deity, only Christ can pay the price, if you come on your own, the results aren't going to be good. And then lastly, again, we also saw that, that the judgment that God brings, He brings because we uh, walk away from Him. The ground swallowing up, all those things were things where they just made a conscious choice to walk away from God. So that brings us to tonight's text. And here's what we're talking about, reestablishing truth. And in these short 13 verses, the first half, we're going to see the attributes of the one God has called. And then the second half, we're going to see the fruit of those who have been called by God. So the first half, we're going to see attributes of God's calling upon your life. And the second half, we'll see the fruit of that calling being made manifest in our lives. Again, we want to see clearly God's eyes. We want us to get our eyes back on Him. So let's begin in verse 1 of number 17. And it says there, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So after the plague had ceased, after the, the dying had stopped, this is right afterward, 14,700 dead corpses, the ground is opened up. People have been swallowed, right? The people have doubted and questioned God's calling on Moses and Aaron's life. All they've done is respond by interceding and interceding and interceding and loving them anyway. And now, God's going to speak to them again to get their eyes back where they need to be. Look at verses 2 and 3. Speak to the children of Israel 
and get from them a rod from each of their father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of, of each father's house. So attributes of someone who was called. God called them to get a rod and represent the leaders of each of the 12 tribes. And the word for rod there in the original language could also mean tribe. And it is a rod. It's an actual rod. It's a staff. Okay? And they would take it and they put the name of the leader, Reuben, whatever the name was of the head of that tribe. And on the tribe of Levi, they put Aaron's name. And they brought these rods in, again, so that God can open up their eyes and show them the truth as to who he had really called. Again, shouldn't have been necessary. They should have already known. Didn't God already tell them? What happened? Remember again, when he opened up, when, when the, he came down and he called the tribes to him, who came? The Levites. And what did he say? This is my chosen tribe. He shouldn't have to tell them again. How many times does God have to tell us something before it's true? That'd be, it's tr- he didn't have to tell us, and it's true anyway, because he's God, right? But if he tells us once, that should be enough. And he'd already told them, but they'd gotten their eyes off of it. But we see God's grace here, that he's going to reiterate to them one more time the truth of who he is and who it is that he has called. Now, I want to say one last thing. When the Levites, remember this story? When the Levites came, what else did he have them do? After they came to Moses and he said, these are my chosen people, what did he have them do next? Who remembers? He told them to take what? a sword, and they went out and killed 3,000 people who continued to rebel. Do you remember that? Now, that was at the giving of the law. Remember, he had just come down from the mountain, and he had the law in his hands. At the giving of the law, how many people died? 3,000. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, how many souls were added to the church that day? 3,000. You think that's by chance in the Bible? The law comes, 3,000 die. The Spirit comes, 3,000 get saved. God's Word rocks, right? I mean, it's just perfect how everything is so complete in His Word. So the first attribute of one who is called by God, and this is going to sound like a no-brainer to you, but I'm going to tell you why it's, on, it's in here. They must be one of the what? Twelve what? Tribes of Israel. Which means, before someone can be called to be used by God, they must be a child of God. Well, duh, Pastor Dave. Of course they've got to be saved. Well, guess what? We've got churches all over this country right now interviewing and hiring and putting people in to becoming pastors in their church who do not know Jesus Christ. Do you know that's true? Amen? Why? Because they're looking for letters after their name. One of, my, one of our brothers that's here a lot on Wednesday nights, he's on the board at a church here in town, and he said, Dave, we had 110 resumes before we found somebody who was a Christian. That's not good if the guy interviewing to be the pastor is not saved. That's a problem. Amen? But sadly, it's an epidemic. And so the reason I point this out to you is notice the first thing he does, does, he calls in the 12 tribes of Israel and says, the guy that I'm going to call, the guy that I've got my hand on, the one that I'm going to use mightily, the one that's going to intercede on your behalf and be the high priest must first be one of my children. So before we start looking at people and putting them in positions of authority in any way, shape, or form, we must first know that they're born again. And it's sad that we even have to do that. But the reality is, that's got to be the first question. You know, if any of you, if I've done your pre-marriage counseling, the first question I ask every single person I do pre-marriage counseling of is always the same. 
Tell me how you got saved. Share your testimony with me. I might have known you for 20 years. I asked my little brother this last week. Do you think I know him a little bit? Right? I've known him since he was born. And I asked him, Tell me, give me, share your testimony with me that how you know you're going to heaven and then you're born again. Why? Because the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And if I'm going to do your wedding before I do anything, I want to make sure both of you know Jesus Christ, that both of you have been born again, no matter how long I've known you. And we see here that the first thing he does in this high calling to intercede on behalf of the people, to be in that position of authority, used mightily by God, the first thing that has to happen is that person must be born again. That person must know God. And I'll tell you, when I see, and again, I hope I'm not getting, man, it kills me when I see some of the stuff I see on TV right now. People cheering for the latest, you know, the newest homosexual bishop. Oh, yeah, we need to love everybody. And it's like, if you don't believe that this is okay, then you are a bigot. Isn't that true? But here's the reality. Jesus loves them, and I don't know how many of you saw me on Channel 8 News, but let me just tell you, I'll say what I said then. Jesus loves everybody, and he died that we might have eternal life. Amen? Is it desire that none should perish, no, not one? He loves the homosexuals. He loves the adulterers. He loves the fornicators. He loves me, and I'm a stinking sinner. He loves us all. But he did say that marriage is for one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? One man, one woman, Genesis chapter 2. And it says in Romans that the man left a natural use for the woman and went and joined himself with the man, doing what is an abomination in the eyes of God. And God, you know what? And he hates the sin, and he does love the sinner, but we need to tell people that it's sin. And sadly, we have churches today that can't even figure out what the Bible says anymore because they become like the, the Israelites and the children in, in the wilderness, the children of Israel in the wilderness, wandering around and looking at their circumstances and taking their eyes off of God. May we never take our eyes off of God. May we keep our eyes on His Word. May this always be the authority. If you see me doing something outside of God's word, come kick me in the shins, you have my permission. Amen? If I ever get up here and start teaching you something, the Bible, it's the Bible. It's God's word. That's what transforms lives. And he said, you know what? The first thing, you get the children of Israel in here. Were there people traveling with them that were not Israelites? Absolutely there were. But he said, it's going to first be one of my children. Someone adopted into my family. Someone in our day and age that's been born again. That's first, before anything else. So attribute number one, they must be born again. Now, why, why did they bring rods in? You know, why, why a big stick? Everybody go grab a big stick. Why? Let me tell you why. In those days, a rod signified authority. Now, a rod on the ground, what was it? A stick. Okay, a rod on the ground was a stick. That's what it was. But you take that same rod and you put it in Moses' hand, and what does it become? It becomes something that God uses, a tool that God uses. You take that stick and you put it in a shepherd's hand, and he is defending the sheep with it. He's pulling sheep out of the ditch with it, right? He's fighting off bears and lions with it. He's tapping the sheep into the right direction. So that tool in the hand of the master is a mighty and a powerful thing. That tool on the ground is worth nothing. It's interesting that he tells them to bring these sticks in, these rods. Again, Moses' signs and wonders. What did he do with the rod? He threw it down and became a what? A snake. He, turned, he put it in the water and it became blood. God used it to call the frogs and to part the Red Sea. And he, he smote the rock the first time when he was supposed to. And what happened? Water came out. Now, you and I, apart from God, you know what we are? Dead sticks. Without him, we can do what? Nothing. And nothing in the original language means nothing. 
Okay? Without Him, we can do nothing. And because we can do nothing without Him, we must be desperate for Him. In God's hands, we can be mighty tools for ministry. Now, what about the wood of the cross? How much do you think the wood of the cross was worth? Not much. Dead sticks. You take those sticks and you hammer them together and you put our Savior on them, and what are they worth? Everything. Our salvation. Eternity. Our forgiveness. Our redemption. When on the third day He rose from the dead and He triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And that's what we see here. When they bring these rods in, they're of no value unless they're in the hands of the Master. And you and I are of no value to the kingdom of God unless we're living our lives in the hands of the Master. When we're in His hands, He can do great and awesome things with us. When we're trying to do it on our own, it's of no value. So attribute number one is you must be born again. Attribute number two, I want you to see this in verses four and five, that we're called by God, not by men. They were called by God, not voted on by men. Oh, Pastor Dave, getting in my kitchen from my days. In de- de- I grew up in denominational churches. Can I tell you, praise God that we're at a church we don't vote on everything. What color should we paint the nursery? Let's get a committee. Right? Everybody vote. Right? That is so not biblical. It's just not in the Bible. When they voted, it never turned out good. Ever. Right? Aren't you glad we don't vote? We just say, God, you tell us. And we'll do it. Amen? Because we vote, we're going to mess it up. What would have happened to Moses and Aaron when the 253 guys showed up if they had a vote on who should be high priest? Who would have won that vote? Who wants Moses? Moses Aaron. Who wants Aaron? Aaron and Moses going, I'll vote for you, you vote for me, okay. I mean, right? 253 guys. You guys are out of there, right? But God had a vote and fire came down from the sky, right? So we want to trust God. Now look at 4 and 5. Look what it says here. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man who I choose will blossom. This I will rid myself, thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. Now I love this. The first thing that he does is he tells them to bring the rods in before the ark. Before the testimony, which is the ark of the covenant. Now what was in the ark of the covenant? What, what did it later house? Ten Commandments, Jar of Manna, and soon to be Aaron's Rod. Okay? All of them a picture of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law, right? The law points to our sin and our need for a Savior. The manna, who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. And the rod of the high priest, who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, only the high priest could go in, only on the Day of Atonement. And what did they do? They sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. Because the mercy seat covered the law, right? Without mercy, the law would, we'd be in trouble. But because of God's grace, we're forgiven. And they took the rods and they set them into God's presence and they let God decide which one should be the high priest. Isn't that a pretty good move? What do you think? God, you know what, I got an idea. Let's let you decide. We tried the voting thing and fire came down from the sky. That didn't work out too good. We had a bunch of guys rising up that thought they knew who should be in charge, and the ground opened up and swallowed them. Uh, when Moses went away last time, we had a party, and we made a golden calf. Didn't work out too good. Maybe it's time that we listen to the Lord and let Him decide. Boy, I'll tell you, didn't it take the pressure off? And you let... Do you think God cares where you work? What do you think? Absolutely. Why don't we let Him decide? Amen? Lord, you show me where you want me to work. Lord, you show me the job you have for me. What about where we live? 
What about how we spend our time? Lord, you show me. How should I raise my kids? Where should I send my kids to school? What should I do with my... Lord, should I buy this car? Lord, should I do... Does God care about the details of our life? Yes. And instead, we want to vote. And again, there is wisdom in the counsel of many, and seeking biblical counsel is a good thing, but never superseding what God has said in His Word, because that is always the final authority. And so they bring the rods in, and they set them in God's presence. And it says there in verse 5, whom I choose, not whom they vote for. They didn't go outside the tent and hold up, okay, who votes for Reuben? Probably would have been, about well, whoever had the most people in their tribe would have won, right? Reuben, all the Reubenites, ah, right, you know, then, okay. Simeon, ah, right, I mean, but it just went around the, the horn and whoever had the most people would have won every time. But that's not the way God does stuff. We don't vote, we seek God's face. Can you imagine, they'd be having like the high priest convention. You know what I mean? They'd be having like caucuses, right? They'd, be, they'd have like campaign managers, right? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm Aaron's campaign manager, and uh, so what do we got to do to get your vote today, right? Can you imagine all the, the campaigning and the politics that would go on? Can you imagine how corrupt the high priest would be by the time he became the high priest? Because he'd have to pay off all these promises to people to get the position. Isn't that what would happen? Well, if I vote for you for high priest, you know, if I cheat on my wife, you're going to look the other way, right? You can cut me some slack, right? You're going to kick me down an extra couple lambs every year so I can... I mean, who knows what they would do? But the point I'm making is that when men vote, it becomes corrupt because men's heart are perverse and wicked above all things. But God is perfect. So instead of us voting, let's just say, God, what do you want us to do? Let's do that. Lord, we trust you. Lord, you'll show us. You're a faithful God. And so that's exactly what he does. They put all the the rods in, and, and as they put them in there... Again, he says also that I will rid myself of the complaints of the people. After this supernatural display, Aaron's priesthood, you know what, is never going to be questioned again. This is the last time. Last time. Because God's going to make it very clear whom he chose. When God chooses, we need to trust him. That's good enough for me. That works. Lord, we trust you. You're faithful and an awesome God. So attributes of one who's called by God. First of all, he must be born again. And he must be called by God, not by men. Now, you might say, well, pa- well wait a minute, Pastor Dave. So when you, when you have pastors at your church, do you wait till like, God shows up in your bedroom and tells you what to do? No. But I do believe that every pastor in this church was chosen by God, not by me. Because we prayed, we sought God's face, we asked for his will, and it was always unanimous. Every single pastor felt the same way. Yeah, it's the Lord. So we weren't voting. Nobody was campaigning. And as a matter of fact, every guy I've ever asked to be a pastor here has always felt unworthy. That's a sign that God's doing it, not man. Amen? And that's how God should work. We don't vote. We don't campaign. You know. And I'm glad we don't have votes of confidence around here. That's good. If, if many of you know what that's, that every year you vote on whether or not to keep the pastor. See, I'd, I'd be in there like the week before going, okay, how's your car? You need, you need a little wax on that? Or, you know, I mean... How's the lawn looking? You know, I mean, that's, and, and that's what happens. Again, you become the high priest who's a hireling instead of somebody who God has called. You know, the, another thing too, this is, I'm just being open with you guys. It's really good that God allowed me to be here when the church started. There was like six of us because nobody can come to me and say, Pastor Dave, before you got here, we, no one was here before I got here. That's very good. I like that, right? Before you got here, we used to do this. Well, before I, we didn't have a church before we got here. So praise God. Amen? So, so that's why you're going to be stuck with me, because I don't want to go somewhere else where they've been there for a while. Right? You guys are going to have to deal with me until the Lord comes back. So you must be born again, called by God, not by men. Now look at verses 6 and 7. Number 3. 
A heart submitted to God. A heart submitted to God. Look at verses 6 and 7. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses, 12 rods. The rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now what could Aaron have said at this point? He could have said, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm already the high priest. You told me a long time ago, and you already called the Levites. Why are we, wait a minute, why are we doing this again? You already told me I'm the guy. No, you didn't have, no, don't take my, no, I'm already the guy. No, you're not taking my rod, I already know. You already said, and you're, no, that's it, right? And sometimes we do that with God. Well, God, you already said. Well, God, you already gave me a promise. God, you already showed me your, God, why should I have to go through this again? Why did Aaron have to go through this again? That God might be glorified. That's why. Amen? That it might be made clear to everybody that this was God's man. Sometimes we go through the trial again that God might be glorified. That God might show His power. That they might see that God is an awesome and a powerful God. Aaron was already serving as the high priest. Who was moving the tabernacle when they moved? Which tribe? The Levites. We're already the chosen tribe. Why are we doing it? Because God said that's why. Why do I need to go through this? Because God wants you to, that he might be glorified through it. Calling shouldn't produce a self-righteous attitude or heart, but great awe, reverence, and desperation for God. If God has called you and is using you, may it never go to your head and make you think you're more than you are. Why? Because you're a dead stick if you're not in the hands of the master. Amen? I've used this illustration before. I was here visiting my parents who lived in Southern California years ago, and I had the worst toothache of my life. It was so bad. It was on Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't remember which. And I go through the phone book and I'm calling people. It might have been Thanksgiving night or Christmas. I can't remember. But I'm calling everybody in the phone book. They thought I was outside my mind asking them to go down. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. And they're like, well, I'm going to have to pay double. I said, you can have my car. Just fix my tooth. Have you ever had a toothache that bad? You know what I'm talking about? I'm in so, oh, right? Whatever. Fine. Don't use Novocaine. I don't care. Just fix it. And so... I go down and see this guy, and he agrees to meet me late at night. It might have been Christmas Eve. He goes to meet me late at night. He shows up in there. He doesn't have an assistant or anybody. He numbs me up. He fixes my tooth. Oh, it was incredible. Now, did I grab the drill? Oh, thank you, drill. You're such an awesome drill. Oh, I love this drill. Get my picture with the drill, right? Why? Because that drill is worthless unless it's in the hand of the dentist, Amen. And who was I thinking? The dentist. I was hugging the guy. Thank you. You rock, man. I love you. Right? Thank you. I mean, I was in so much from pain to all. Right? Now, should we be the ones getting the praise when we're simply the drill in the hand of the master? Should we be self-righteous? Should we be holier than thou? Aaron could have said, I already am the high priest. No, Aaron. You're simply someone I choose to use. And if God is using you in the children's ministry or setting up chairs or, or witnessing to people at work or leading worship or whatever it is, teaching the Bible like I do, whatever you do, God alone gets all the glory because without us being in His hand, we're dead sticks. Amen? We're of no value without Him. We could do nothing. So He gets all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the worship. And if He chooses to take me out of here, then that's His prerogative because He's God. And whatever He's going to do that will bring Him the greatest amount of glory, let's do that. Let's trust you. You're such a great God. You know what's best for me. My, my life is in your hands. 
So, the attributes of one called by God, first, he must be born again. Second, called by God, not by men. And third, a humble heart submitted to the Lord. It says, Lord, it's all in your hands anyway. Lord, you want, you want to do something different with my life? That's fine. You want to move me? That's fine. Whatever you want, Lord, I trust you. I'm following you. It's all in your hands anyway. Second, last five verses here. Fruit of true calling. So we've seen the attributes. So what fruit does it produce when you've been called by God? How do you know when someone's been called by God? How do you know? Well, he sounds eloquent. He looks good. I mean, how do you know that that person is called by God? Well, let's take a look. Look at verse 8. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron and the house of Levi had sprouted and brought forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Now, if you put a stick in a room and it starts bearing fruit, whoa, that's kind of a miracle. What do you think? If you're walking along a path and you see a dead stick and you walk back by four days later and it's got apples on it, bring it to my house. I want to see that thing, right? I mean, so they go back in, and all the other sticks are just dead sticks. Why? Because it wasn't God's calling. And they were not the ones in the hands of the master to be used mightily by God. But the one that God was going to use was bearing fruit. So, what is the first thing? What is the first thing you see in someone that has a true calling? Their life bears fruit. Now, what is some of the fruit that it bears? It's interesting that it happened to be an almond. Now, does anything happen by chance in the Bible? No. Almond trees were the first ones to blossom. First ones, always. It's interesting, it says in 1 Corinthians, I just turned the, 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ is the first fruits of resurrection. When that almond blossomed, it was a picture of that first fruit. It was a picture of what Jesus would later do because He is the great high priest, amen? And it was the first fruits but it bears fruit. Now, the fruit of true calling first is that we live a resurrected life. If you're truly called by God, the first thing you're going to see is there's a transformation in the way that you live. Can I tell you something? That when you're born again, you ought to be radically different than you were before. Amen? Christianity isn't, you know, you go to work on Monday, so how was your weekend? Well, yeah, I went, I went, uh, I went uh, fishing with my buddies and then... Uh, yeah, and then uh, went to a movie, caught a flick. Yeah, Sunday got saved. Um, then we went out to lunch at the... <laughs> you know what I mean? It should be, dude, let me tell you what happened to me. Once I was lost and now I'm fine, found. I used to be blind, but now I see. I've been born again. I'm <laughs> heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. I'm going to heaven. I'm a new creation in Christ. Let me tell you about who I met this weekend. Let me tell you about my Savior. That's what should be happening in the life of someone who's been born again. Amen? If you get saved and nobody notices, that's not good. Right? You should, there should be a radical transformation. And the first thing that we should see in someone who's called by God is they should live different than the rest. Of, not perfect, but different. Different passion, different focus, different heart, different things that they pursue. Where the world thinks you're crazy because you love things that they don't see as being anything significant. So we see that that rod bears fruit. What other fruit does the Bible talk about? Being in the life of somebody who's been radically changed by him. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. The word there for love is agape. So not only does, do your actions change, you know that rod that's bearing fruit? Your actions change, your passions change, your heart changes, but you know what else? You start loving people in a way 
that blows people's minds. Agape means that you love something outside of yourself more than yourself. It's the love that a mother has for a child. How many moms do we have in here? Raise your hand. Okay. How much do you love your kids? Now, when they wake up at 3 in the morning, do you just say, yeah, right, I'm not getting up. Cry again at 7. Is that what happens? I got four kids. That's not what happens. That baby goes, oh, I think I heard the baby, right? And run down the hall. Oh, the baby's okay. It covers up, right? I mean, sometimes they don't make any sound and people get up and go down the hall and check on them. I've done it. I'm a dad. I think, did you hear the baby? I think, well, I'm going to go check, right? She's there, ouch, she had no idea. But that's the, that's what the word for agape is the kind of love a mother has for its child. It's unconditional. It doesn't say, it's 2 a.m., I'm tired. It says, oh, you're hungry, I'll feed you right now. You need to be changed, I'll take care of it. I'll stop and change, I'll quit my job. I'll do everything I can to take care of you because I love you more than I love me. That's agape. Loving something outside of itself more than itself. And that's the sign of someone who's truly called by God. Not only does their life change, but they start to love people supernaturally. We have a six-word credo of ministry at this church. It's preach the word and what? Love the people. You know what? We need to be supernaturally loving on folks. The greatest, one of the greatest compliments I get is when people come up to me and say, Pastor Dave, we, we visited your church, and man, we can't believe how much you guys love each other. It brings me to tears every time. Oh, thank you. Praise the Lord. Because that's not the work of a man. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we see here that that thing is budding. That rod is budding. And when it's budding, what does that mean? It's bearing fruit. And when it's bearing fruit, it means it's got a radical transformation. And it means there's supernatural love that has, that has replaced jealousy and envy. And not that you don't blow it, but there's supernatural love. Thirdly, along with that love, is you begin to impact the world around you. In Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, it says good, fruit, good ground brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. When God's calling is upon somebody's life, they will respond in obedience and God will do miraculous things through them and they will impact people around them. You know what? Calling is not filling a position. Calling is when God does something radical in your life and you start to impact everybody around you. You can't help but tell people about the Lord. You can't help it. It's such a get-to. Nobody has to put a title by your name. You just change radically. You start loving people. You start thinking about the people at work and it starts breaking your heart. Man, they need the Lord. That's agape. You know what? I know they're going to think I'm a Jesus freak, but I'm going to tell them anyway, right? It's that radical transformation that comes in your life. You know what? The Great Commission. What are we called to do as a church? Go, therefore, into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 tells us we're to continue steadfastly in the Word of God and the Apostles', you know, the apostles Doctrine and prayer. And, right? Now, that's what we're called to do as a church. And this scares me. There are churches everywhere that you'll talk to the pastor. And I've talked to some of them. I've been a, you've been a, yeah, how long have you been there? I've been there four years. How's the church doing? Oh, not too good. When I got there, there was 40 people. Now there's 25 people. How many people got Oh, nobody's got saved in the four years I've been here. But wait a minute. Nobody's got saved. Nobody's got saved. Nobody's got saved, the church is shrinking, there's bitterness and infighting, and the committee's got you know, a vote of confidence for me next week, you know what I mean? And that, you know what, that's not a church. You know what that is? It's the Elks Club, put some horns on the wall and just forget it, right? I mean, that's what it becomes. If God's word's not being preached, if, they're not, if the Holy Spirit's not moving and active, if people's lives aren't being transformed, if people aren't getting saved, something's wrong. Does the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us radically transform lives? 
Is his desire to reach out and see people get saved? Absolutely. So if we're preaching God's word, will he be faithful to his promise? Of course he will. You know what? When we first started the church, people used to say, Pastor Dave, you know, we've been here six months, there's 20 people. I'd say, you know what? God's faithful to his word. Let's just keep teaching it. And God has been faithful. Amen? It's nothing to do with any man. It's just that God's faithful to his word. And he's going to keep doing it. And God's doing great and awesome things. And so we see here the fruit of true calling. One, a resurrected life, supernatural love, and, and impacting the world around you. But I want you to see this last thing here. The last point. And I think this is really key. Point four is pointing to truth. The Bible says love without truth, or no, the Bible doesn't say this, Pastor Dave says this, love without truth is hypocrisy, truth without love is brutality, that's why we must speak the truth in love, right? So what if we have supernatural love for everybody, but we just put our arms around the Buddhists and everybody, oh, kumbaya, it's all good, big tent, right? As long as you believe in something, really hard, we just put our arms around each other and it doesn't matter. Is that scriptural? No. So it is important that we have supernatural love, but if we really love people, what will we point them to? Now, where else do you see almond blossoms in the Bible? Where else do you see it in the tabernacle? On the what? On the golden lampstand. Very good. Bonus points for Alicia all up up in front. On the golden lampstand, they had almond blossoms that were there that the oil was poured into. Now, do you think it's by chance that on that, ram, on that rod were almond blossoms? Absolutely not. Why? Because what is it pointing to? It's pointing to the lamp. And, and what are the two things that the golden lampstand speaks of? The Bible, first of all, it's God's word. Thy word is what? Uh, what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so not only should there be that supernatural love, but what kind of fruit should be coming out of there? We should be pointing people back to the Word of God. If you're loving people and you're not pointing them to the Word of God, you are not bearing the fruit that it talks about in this chapter. You need to be pointing people to God's Word. Not to just love you, but pointing them to the Word. Now what else does the light point to, or who else does the light point to? To Jesus, because He is the light of the world, amen? Every furnishing in the tabernacle pointed to Christ. The table of showbread, who's the bread of life? Jesus, the, the golden lampstand, who's the light of the world? Jesus, the, the altar that, of incense, who's the one that intercedes on our, our behalf daily? Jesus Christ, the bronze altar, who's the one that suffered and died on the cross so we might have eternal life? The, the laver, who's the one that, that cleanses us white as snow? It's Jesus, 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 Jesus as you go through the tabernacle. And it's important that as Christians, as called by God, you'll know someone's called because not only will they have supernatural love, not only will their life be transformed, but they're going to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. And they're going to be taking people to His Word. That's someone who's been called by God. Amen? They can have love, they don't point them to the Word, that's not calling. They can have love and they can point them to Buddha and everything else, that's not calling. They can... Point people to the word, but be bitter and angry and have an attitude, and that's not calling either. All those things are key. Supernatural love, a transformation in my life, pointing people to Jesus Christ and pointing people to his word. That's calling. Amen? And may we be found doing that. May we be found pointing people to the Lord. Almost done here. So look what it said. The key point, again, is to keep from becoming an amoral man or woman, from becoming misled by a false teacher, from missing out on the truth. 
You know, you may visit a church and they're filled with love, they're attracting a huge crowd, but they're ministering to felt needs and they're not teaching the Bible. The secret sensitive movement, isn't that what it's all about? Bring in as many people as we can, but don't tell them they're sinners because they might not come back. Does the Bible tell us we're sinners? Does the Bible tell us that we need to repent of our sin and be born again? Does the Bible tell us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life? How much should we be teaching it every single time we get here? Open up your Bible. I will never put the verses up on a screen. You know why? Because I don't want you to stop bringing your Bible to church on Sunday. You bring your Bible. Because if you don't open it up here, you're not going to open it up at home. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Crack this thing open. We need to spend time in God's Word. And so we see here very clearly that we, we need to not just have that love because you can have fruitless hypocrisy. You can have a, quote, church that doesn't point people to the Savior, that no longer speaks of God's Word. May we never, ever fall into that trap. Last few verses, look at verse 9. Then Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. What did they find out when the rods came out? What did, they, what did, all, what did, what did 11 of them have in their hands? Sticks. And one of them had God's calling. Aaron. Aaron, you're the guy I've called. Aaron, you're the guy I'm going to use. Aaron, you're a picture of Christ because you're going to intercede on behalf of the people. The rest of you guys are in rebellion. I never called you. You can repent. You can walk with me, but I didn't call you to that position. Now, does God love them all? Yes, He does. But does He have a calling on on some that He doesn't have on others? And especially in these guys' case because they're walking in rebellion. They're rebellious against God. So the fruit of true calling is pointing people again to the truth, to living, to the living, breathing Word of God, to elevating God's Word even above His name. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. Be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Thus did Moses just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So Aaron's rod was brought in and put where? Before the testimony. Aaron's, Aaron's a picture of the high priest is a picture of Christ and it's brought into the place of sacrifice and it's stuck in the very place where the sacrifice would take place. The ark is a picture of the cross. Again, where the blood, the perfect, the blood, the firstborn spotless lamb was sprinkled to take away the sins of all mankind. Sprinkled on the mercy seat, the cherubim, the angelic host was there, right? It's a picture of our Savior where God's glory dwelt. Verse 12 and 13. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, Surely we die. We perish. We all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? You know what? They had come forward with rods of good works. Not calling. You come before God with your good works and you've got a stick in your hand. You come before God with the best efforts you can make or striving in the flesh. Do you know what else? Can I encourage you something? If you're called by God, you don't have to politic and you don't have to strive to make it happen. You don't have... Same thing I tell couples. They'll say, well, man, you know, we want to get married right away. I'm like, hey, if this is a woman, if this is the man God has for you, you don't have to strive. You don't have to knock walls down. God's in control. Amen? He caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife. He didn't give Adam a bow and arrow and say, go hunt her down. Right? And the same is true with ministry. We often want to close the deal. Well, I better jump up and tell Pastor Dave I really want to do that before someone else gets it. Don't worry. If you're the one that's called to do it, then God's going to make sure you're the one doing it. Amen? Trust Him. You don't have to strive. You don't have to politic. You just be faithful and do what God's called you to do. And He'll make sure that He uses you in a mighty and a powerful way. 
He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Sadly, the tabernacle became to, to many of the people they were concerned and it, and it brought fear to their hearts. Instead of a jo- rejoicing and saying, God's with us in the tabernacle, His glory dwells there. Instead of being rejoicing, what did they do? They got afraid. You know what I thought about? I thought about the cross. For those of us who are saved, we look at the cross and it, and it blesses us because our Savior loves us. We see it as the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind. To those who don't know Christ, what do they see? A cursing and judgment. We see forgiveness. They looked at the tabernacle now and they said, you know, but now we're under judgment and, you know, now we're all going to die because we're not the ones and we can't approach anymore. And if we try to approach, then, then we're going to die. And there's some truth to that. Because if you tried to approach apart from the high priest, you would die. And if you try to approach God's presence apart from our great high priest, you too will die. Because the only way we can enter in is because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Amen? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So in review, attributes of calling. Number one, you must be born again. Number two, called by God, not by men. Number three, a heart submitted to God, a humble heart. Fruit of the calling. Living a resurrected life, a new creation. Having supernatural agape love. Impacting the world around you, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And pointing people to the truth. Pointing them to God's word. Pointing them to Jesus Christ. In a time of moral relativism and and an amoral society, may we have a supernatural love for the lost. A supernatural love for Santa Cruz. How many of you want to see revival in Santa Cruz? Raise your hand. Don't you want to see people get saved? Can't we just start praying for them? God, start with me. Revive me first. Give my passion for you first. Help me to love you. Help me to have a supernatural love for the lost. Help me to point people to you and not to me. May you be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you just for the example of just, again, reestablishing truth in the hearts of the children of Israel. Lord, I pray you would reestablish truth in our hearts tonight. Father, may we realize that without you we can do nothing. Without the empowering work of your Holy Spirit, We're dead sticks on the ground. If we're not in your hands, we can have no impact on this world. But Lord, I pray we would come to you in humility, in desperation, and say, Lord, use us for your glory. Lord, we're here. Use us. Not because we're perfect, but Lord, because you're perfect. Not because we've attained anything or we have any great abilities, but Lord, you can take broken, marred vessels and you can use them for your glory. Father, I do lift up Santa Cruz County to you. Lord, I pray that in the midst of times like this, you give us opportunities to preach Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Lord, give us supernatural love for even those who are in total rebellion against you because, Lord, there before your grace is each one of us. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would help us, Lord, to go out even tomorrow and just start loving people the way you love them. Lord, to have a burden for people the way you do, to see the world through your eyes and to point people to you because you're the only answer for what this world so desperately needs. We thank you that you're in control. We thank you that nobody can vote you out of office. We thank you that you'll always be God. Help increase our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.